Sound of Truth starts now. Welcome to Sound of Truth Weekly Interview, as we seek to inform, inspire, and encourage you in your walk with Christ through engaging interviews of ordinary people in whom God is doing an extraordinary work. I'm your host, Brett Morani, and I'm excited that you've chosen to join us. Welcome, friends, to our weekly interview. This week, we are airing part two of our interview with Neil Cole about his latest book, Viral, which is the sequel to his previous book titled Pray. Now, we interviewed Neil earlier this year about that book, Pray, which is about how we talk to God. In his latest book, this sequel book, Viral, he shares how God talks to us. Now, for time's sake, we had to pause the interview last week, and then we're going to pick up with it again this week. So to establish a little bit of context, last week, Neil was explaining to us how he is not opposed to approaching strangers cold turkey to share the gospel, such as you may have seen Ray Comfort or Kirk Cameron do on television. So to help establish the context of where we are in this interview, we're going to pick up with just a little repeat of what we heard at the end of last week's Sound of Truth weekly interview. So with that in mind, here is part two of our interview with Neil Cole about his book, Viral. You're not right. saying it's a wrong thing to do to cold turkey witness to a stranger. No, that's something Jesus did all the time. He'd find somebody on his path and he would heal 10 lepers or he would uh, heal a blind man on the side of the road named Bartimaeus or he would tell Zacchaeus to get out of the tree. But more often than not, he was trying to connect those people to their own household. Like Zacchaeus, he says, tonight I will dine with you in your house or to uh yeah my favorite i talk about this in the book but the the gathering garrison demoniac he 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 wants to leave with jesus and jesus says no stay and tell your people about me Mm -hmm. so he doesn't want to withdraw them from their natural relationships but let them stay there with the gospel and be the contagion of the kingdom and so that's the approach that i think uh, Jesus is instructing. What I, what I would say is that Matthew 10 and Luke 10 are an apostolic mission given to us. Mm-hmm. This is how to take the gospel out to the world and transform the world. Um, but if you bump into somebody in an airplane and they want they want to know how to know Jesus, I would think it'd be wrong to not tell them. Mm-hmm. Um, but but maybe it would be good to try and see, what I try to do is connect them to their own oikos. So like. Mm-hmm. In Turkey, there's a story I tell of a guy in Turkey who was a tour guide for us, and he came to Christ. But then we gave him the gospel and said, now I want you to invite your family to your home for a meal and share this same story with them and ask these same questions. And so try to connect it to their family, to their oikos. Very I think good. that's the spirit of what Jesus is getting at. Yeah. yeah. So we we operate under the assumption that Jesus wants us to leave these people in their network and not pull them out. Could you see some exceptions to this? As a pastor, I'm thinking about situations in which, let's say, their oikos is riddled with drugs, and it's not the healthiest thing for them to stay in that setting once they follow Christ, but they they need to be pulled out of that for a season. Are there some exceptions here? Well, um, what what I would would caution you against just assuming there are exceptions, um, because there may be their oikos. In fact, it's more than likely that all their friends are wrapped up in the drug culture. And so it's natural for us to think, let's remove them from that culture. But that, that may mean that 
their context is ripe for the gospel. So what's really more important to me is that you keep that person strong in faith and leave them in their place to be a witness. So oh, I'm, I'm thinking of friends faith, of mine who who were alcohol. You want to say alcoholic? And their friends were all alcoholics, and they ran with them every weekend. And they had to pull themselves out for a season, and then they were able to go back in and become a, be more of a witness. And they tried to witness to them anyway, but they had to they had to withdraw to a certain degree, or they they couldn't be set free from the alcohol itself. Yeah, if that makes sense. I can see how people think that way. I would I would try it first mm-hmm. before I just assume that they're too weak. I, I think part of the problem is we don't really have strong faith in the power of the gospel in a new life. Mm -hmm. So we think that the power of the temptation of alcohol is stronger than the power of the gospel in them. So we remove them from that place. And really that's not, that's not faith, that's fear. And I think it needs to, I think give it a try first, you know, don't immediately assume that they can't do it. Uh, And don't immediately assume that the environment that they're in is, a threat to them, they may be a threat to that environment. They're the contagion. Let's let them see if it spreads. And I have done this in all kinds of contexts, demonic contexts that are like full of witchcraft and sorcery and, and, uh, and uh, Satanism. And I've seen the gospel spread there or drugs and alcohol or sexual identification issues and struggles. And I have seen the gospel spread from one life to to four, to to eight, to 12. And I think that Satan actually likes for us to remove that person, that Mm -hmm. contagious person from that environment as quickly as possible. But that just protects him. That doesn't protect the person we're removing. And I have seen people stand up for Christ to their friends and family and grow deeper and stronger in their faith Mm -hmm. because of it. So my my counsel would be don't just quickly assume that what's best for them is to remove them, uh, even if even if it's messy and they fall once or twice. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I just don't think that that I, I think we need to give the gospel a chance in that place before we make such moves. Uh, it may come to a point where they're not that strong and they keep falling and you want to remove them. Do you think part of the problem is we have adopted a mindset that baby Christians are weak and they they cannot handle life until they've absolutely. been indoctrinated absolutely. with all our classes and and yeah absolutely that's the problem we think that we think that they need more to be able to be useful so the gospel's not enough mm. Jesus living inside of them is not enough they also need all of our doctrines and our ten ten workbook strategy and um, it, we're, we're, all the sermons we this, that we're going to give them. We bought this lie that they have to be trained and discipled with a bunch of knowledge. Yeah. And and how's that working for us? Yeah. Has that created stronger Christians or weaker Christians? Yeah, really? <laughs> well, I said it the other day. At, at, are, we, are we changing the world or are we not changing the world? I think we're not. The 21st century North American church is the most resourced church in the history of Christianity, but also one of the weakest. Yeah. It's hard for us to imagine that we're not strong, but the lack of fruit is shouting at us. We have to pay attention to the fact that we are not changing the world. The world is more changing us than anything. Late in chapter 5, you recommend 
not opening up your house for outreach. Instead, try to find that person of peace and have them host when you come in to share the gospel or start a new work. Yeah. Right. How, how does this mesh with what I have perceived to be a really positive emphasis of late on hospitality? I'm thinking of Rosaria Butterfield's book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. I'm, I'm reading a book right now by a couple of guys called The Simplest, I believe it's titled The Simplest Way to Change the World, where they talk about opening up your home and having neighbors over a lot, et cetera. Yeah. I think that's not bad. I think that, but but if your if your aim is to launch a viral movement um, that spreads from one oikos to an oikos, from one village to another village, from one town to the whole nation, then you have to launch it in their place so that it's part of their life and part of their rhythm and part of their uh, normal normalcy. Rather than them leaving their world to come to yours, it's better that we go into theirs. This isn't my counsel. This is what Jesus said in the sermons, both Matthew 10 and Luke 10. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's also, there's a lot in those sermons that we have forgotten and lost. And if we just got them back, I think we'd save billions of dollars and <laughs> uh, restore hundreds of thousands of lives. We could send fewer people on mission and see greater results if we sent the right people doing it the right way. But instead, we keep spending more and more money to to do things the way we've been doing them in the past. And they're not viral. They're not multiplying. No, there's no contagiousness to it. Uh, we're setting up outposts, Christian outposts, that just stay there and they don't multiply. So I think we need to get back to Matthew 10, back to Luke 10, and just listen to what Jesus said and do what he says, and we'll start to see a viral movement. There's... There's intelligence behind every one of his words. Mm. What you have to do is not just read the words and react to it. You have to read the words and ask yourself, why is Jesus instructing us this way? Mm. And Because and, a lot of the things he instructs us in goes directly against what we normally do. Like he says, don't keep going from door to door, which is exactly what we do. We go from one door to the next door. He says, don't do that. He specifically commands us not to do that in the imperative voice. Uh, there, you know, he says, "Don't get your, don't take money with you." Well, we do the exact opposite. <laughs> we raise all our support as missionaries, and then we go. Mm-hmm. And so you have to ask, why is he saying these things? And what he's, what, what's happening is, he wants the people you reach to realize they don't have to have a lot of money to do this. They can do it themselves mm-hmm. because you didn't come with a lot of money. So there's there's a, a lot to the sermon that is very functional, very practical, and very wise. But you have to not just react to it and see if it fits within your paradigm of what you're doing, but ask yourself, why is he instructing us this way? And could we learn from this and apply it and see better results? And I got to tell you, I think Jesus is smarter than we are. I think you're right on that one. Okay, so yeah. the, the commands, just a short answer on this one. The commands to practice hospitality, what, what's that in reference to? It, it, it's obviously yeah. something we're supposed to be obeying, but it's obviously not to start a viral movement is what you're saying. Yeah, be, o- open your home to your family and friends and your neighbors and let people be a part of your life. Uh, I, I do believe hospitality is a good thing. And it has I think a gospel component to, to it, yeah. It does. However, 
if you really want to launch movements that multiply and spread, start in their house, not in yours. Okay, excellent. Good clarification. The moment you move it, yeah, the moment you move it to your house, then they're coming to your event. They're not hosting. It's not in their context. It's in your context. Uh, and so now everything really powerful and spiritual that has happened happens in your context instead of theirs. Mm. And, so, and I think that what you want is the transformation to happen in their home, not yours. So we're talking about for outreach, for the kingdom of God, mm. it's better to start at their house. Chapter 6, eight characteristics and systems that multiply virally into movements. You, ha- you have 10 points, if I remember correctly. Number 6, obedience-oriented. I'm looking at page 102, and you write this. Yeah. Discipleship should be obedience-oriented rather than simply knowledge-based. In some of the fastest-growing discipleship movements, those where God's truth is spreading virally, the people doing the training do not teach a second lesson until the concepts of the first one are obeyed. Could you share an example of that, like a, a literal ministry where you saw this occur or, or it is occurring? Yeah. Well, I, even the way I mentor leaders, I, um, I keep in mind a list of all these skills that I want them to learn. Um, but I don't, I don't start with one and go through the list in chronological, chronological order. I ask God, what is God doing in this person's life right now? Because God is a disciple maker, not me. The disciples that God makes are way better than the ones I make. Uh, and God will never abandon his disciples. I may die or I may be moved to another place or I may just n- not see them for a while. And yet God will always be there for them. So what we want is to make disciples of Christ. So I have a list of things in my mind that I want to pass on to these disciples. But I want to ask, what is God working on in their life right now? And normally that's where the greatest amount of pain is. That's where God is speaking to them. So I'll listen to what's going on in their life and I will address that issue. So I say first things first, one thing at a time. And I always have one more thing waiting in the wings. And so I go through the list of things, but not in any chronological order, but according to their need at the moment, just in time. Now, so I'll give them a skill. And when, when I teach them how to do this, I won't give them the second skill or the third skill. I'll wait until they perfect that skill before I give them another one. And the way they perfect it is not by just learning how to do it, but learning how to pass that on to others. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's my way of mentoring, but I think it's, it's sound uh, and it multiplies and it's, it's obedience oriented. It's not just, you know, next week we're going to cover these three things. And the next week after that, we're going to cover another five things and then eight things. And before you know it, all the things have become nothing <laughs> because mm-hmm. there's just so many Right. And you, and the disciple isn't able to discern what's valuable, what's not valuable. They just are told all this is coming at them. And it's just overwhelming. And soon everything that's taught gets lost. And that's the way we are. That's the state of church today. They, they're going to hear one more sermon next week. And, and the, no one's going to ever ask them if they did what they learned in the sermon last week. Well, and then There's I think zero accountability for that we get into a, a very dangerous self-deceptive pattern also of believing that intellectual assent to these messages and hearing them is actually equal to living it out. 
Yeah, no, Jesus said discipleship is to teach them to obey mm-hmm. what I commanded, not not just to know. Um, so, That's good. you know, there was a pastor in Argentina, I think, who, um, he was a new pastor in a new church, and he started preaching, and he preached a sermon, everyone liked it, they all went home, the next week they came back to church, and he preached the same message again, and they went home, and they thought, well, that was weird, and then they came back the third week, and he preached the same message again, and they thought, wow, maybe he, maybe he hasn't had time to prepare another message or something, let's give him one more week. They come back the next week, and he preaches the same sermon again. So the elders say, you know, Pastor, you've preached the same sermon for four weeks. When are you going to preach another message? He says, I'll preach the next message when you do the first one. (laughs) I think that's what we're looking for. Yeah. So what could happen in our churches if we had that kind of expectation? Mm -hmm. I'm not going to preach the second message until you do the first one. (laughs) That's actual learning. obedience-oriented. Really good. Well, my friend, we run out of time. Thank you so much, Neil, for for sharing with us. Before we uh, close out this particular podcast, though, I I do want to ask you uh, how people can get your book. I know it's available on Amazon, but at least for those of you who are listening uh, fairly soon after this is published, I don't know how long this deal is going to last, but but Neil, you you got a deal going right now, don't you, where uh, if you purchase this particular book from your website, uh, there's a special gift that comes along with that. Is that correct? Yeah. So for just until while the supplies last, if you buy viral at our our website, which is starling like the bird starlinginitiatives.com, then you will also get prey as a as a for free to as a companion volume. All you'd have to do is cover the shipping for it and. Uh, you know, we have a certain amount of stock that we're trying to get off, get out that way. So as soon as that's gone, the deal will be over. But for now, you buy, buy one, get one free. So if you buy a copy of Viral, uh, then on our website, then we'll also send you Prey as well. But it is also available on Amazon. Just disease, and probably their their shipping is faster than ours. But um, that's a deal that we offer for the moment. Sounds like a good deal. I wish I'd known about it, but I was eager to get the book and got it, I think, in a day after I ordered. And so uh, take advantage of that. Well, I happen chance. to know you already have Prey. <laughs> yeah, I know, but I could have given another copy away. So um, yeah. anyhow, starlinginitiatives.com is the website where you other find other resources as well available. Thank you, Neil, for your time and, and uh, look forward to your next book coming out. And hopefully you'll come back and share with us on that as well. So You're welcome, Brett. No problem. I appreciate the opportunity. If you're enjoying this podcast, please share with your friends. Thanks. The music is by Canon and is used with permission. This podcast is copyrighted by Brett Amorani, 2021.